Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino. I'm joined here by Sal Marinello, our performance coach. And you have, you're listening now to the Hot Corner with Coach Sal. We're on episode 122 here on Real Voices of the Game Production. I want to thank our 12,000 subscribers. We just hit that this morning. Subscribe, listen, like, obviously download first. Make sure we get credit for it. We appreciate you guys doing that and being diligent with it. It helps us keep keep our shows moving forward to give you shows that help build a better baseball IQ and a better sports IQ. Common sense at its finest. Continue to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I'm responding daily to questions. We're getting 50 to 60 questions, direct message to me, and I'm responding uh, in kind the following day. So we appreciate that. I'll continue to do so. And you can find us again, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. And with that, we've got a great show today with with Sal. We're going to cover a topic that we've we've hit on the last couple of shows. We're going to get deeper into it, and then a couple of new topics have to do with nutrition today. But you you got a nice talk before the show with one of our more recent guests. He's been on twice. He's finishing up a children's book. Ted Kubiak seems to be a big fan of yours, and always has feedback for me on on your shows each and every time. Well, yeah, it was a pleasure to hear from him. You know, especially someone that I you know, remember watching uh, when I was a kid and playing baseball and to hear, you know, someone with his background and knowledge of, uh, you know, the sport and how to prepare for it was so uh, complimentary for, you know, the things I've been doing and pushing me more to to do it even more than I'm doing it, which is nice to hear. Uh, uh, you know, you always wonder if the message is getting out there, but you know, even if it's one person, uh, you know you're doing the right thing. So it's going to really enthuse me to even be more focused in that direction going forward. And, and, yeah. and what I will say, Dave, is I picked up a couple of new clients that are playing um, high-end lacrosse. If you go to my Instagram, you'll see the latest player I'm working with, Jules Henningberg. And um, it's been great because he's another young guy that gets it and has seen what the traditional methods can't deliver and has seen improvement in a pretty short period of time from what I'm doing. So, you know, I have all signs are pointing in the right direction. Yeah. And I hope, hope we're, we're helping here with the, the weekly podcast and Ted, Ted's encouragement was great because he, I mean, he's pretty simple. He said, Sal, you're smart. Sal, you're different. Don't be afraid of being smart and being different basically. And, uh, encourage you to deep dive even more and appeal to the, the elite, the intelligent, and, and don't dumb it down for hoping people will follow it. He, he really recognizes that, and he's got to feel good um, to hear that. Yes. Can I tell you the compliment he gave me the other day? What's that? Can I tell you about the compliment he gave me the other day? No, please do. We, we talk we talk quite a bit, and uh, he, I, mean, I, I love the relationship that we're building. And he, uh, I never asked him, but I know he's a, he loves listening to the podcast. And he uh, took a deep pause and said, well, how, how are we doing, Ted? And uh, he said, David, you're getting better. <laughs> there you go. That's all I needed right there. That was like food for, uh, that'll feed me for the next six months. So, yeah. So, um, I, I saw one of your, uh, I think it was on Instagram, and I, we were texting about it earlier today. You were doing a video with a kid, and we couldn't figure out, you know, I couldn't tell you what sport it was. You didn't have a, any equipment. I'm assuming it was lacrosse. But it looked like it was applicable to any sport. Sure. He was doing a kind of a sideways sprint, and then you had him turning around in in, in the middle yeah, of it. So yeah, so that is the uh, that's the player I mentioned, Jules Henningberg, great young guy. And 
what those videos captured was my usual, and I don't like to use the word routine because that has has taken on a negative connotation. He was performing my drills that I put players through, play, um, and not just my players, all, all my clients, but specifically my athletes. I use a lot of these drills that don't only diagnose and reveal things we need to work on, but address those issues at the same time. And it's rare that I get someone through these drills and there's no issues with it. And the drill we do, the football name for it is hip flip on a line where you're kind of doing a diagonal backward run. It's not a back pedal, but it's a diagonal run where imagine you're running straight back, but your head is on the point from where you left. And what you're doing is turning your body and hips from one side to the other without zigzagging. You want to stay close to the line as possible. And why I like these fields with multiple lines on them is you can use those lines to help diagnose and help the, the individual see what they're moving like. And you could, they can see how far from that center line they can stray if their feet are bad. It also reveals certain things about are they on their heels too much? Are you uh, able to have, or do you have the proper spinal flexion and rotation that allows you to rotate like that at high speed moving in that direction? So it both diagnoses, reveals, and addresses these important issues. And that's a beginning phase workout. What are, what, what, if they're not on the line, you mentioned a couple, they could be on their heels, poor spinal flexion. What did you see in your – are you able to talk about the, the, the young sure, man? You're sure. so what, what, what you'll see, um, the obvious thing is if it takes – if they take an extra step or two to flip their hip from one side to the other because what happens is you need to obviously be off your heels. You cannot be hitting when your foot hits flat where your heel hits at the same point that your forefoot hits. And what that usually results in is uh, an extra step or two and a slow kind of pace to them turning the hip to get into the opposite direction. The other thing that happens is when they go through that, it's a I use a, a clap and I'm trying to get them to feel the rhythm or the cadence that if they're moving at a pace, I, I hope you could pick this up, that sounds like this, when they're doing the backward diagonal run, when they go into that hip flip, it's got to be quicker. They have to take that one, two, three, faster step, the first step back, the second step is the transition, and then the third step is them running in that opposite direction. So all of those things are tied to how your foot hits the ground, and also if a player individual has issues with how they rotate with their spinal rotation or their spinal flexion. Spinal rotation, picture yourself standing and just turning your shoulders and your head one way or the other. Uh, spinal flexion is if you're standing and you're moving your shoulder to the side as if you were between two panes of glass and couldn't rotate, but you're trying to move your shoulder to the hip. That's what I, I try to cue people, have your shoulder go to your hip. So if you're having a problem with rotation or flexion, it's going to affect how you can perform that move. I immediately, when I saw it, I, again, you, you go back to what you know. I thought about transition defense in basketball, spreading straight back down the middle third with your head looking over your inside shoulder and then having to flip that head and hip as the team reverses the ball, which they are taught to do. 
to the back of your head. And then also with a with a, an outfielder or an infielder, the toughest fly ball to catch is the one that's right over your head. Right. And, uh, so those are the two things that went to my mind. Uh, football, maybe defensive backs, I think. And well, you know what? I tried it. So it, it's interesting you bring that up because Jules asked me the question. You know, he, he's an offensive player. He plays midfield. He was a tack. Both, most offensive players, well, I guess all offensive players, really are concerned with moving forward. And his comment to me was, well, why is this going to make me better moving forward? And I'm, my answer is I am not concerned with a strict or an isolated way you move. I'm trying to get you to move better in 360 degrees. And these things, as I mentioned, these movements reveal problems with foot strike, with spinal rotation, spinal uh, flexion. So while he may not run that way as an offensive player, his body not being able to move in the way it needs to move to run that way will affect him when he is doing things more central to his tasks on the field. Yeah, so he was looking for a direct, this is me in a game, and, and you're thinking total mobility and flexion. But yeah, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't, you know, being um, confrontational. He just was like, how, what's the thought process of why you do this? And as I just explained, that's how I explained it to him. Yeah. And I think that's, that's when you got a special athlete when they're, they can communicate with, with foot strike now. And and I will move on after this if, um, but the big problem with outfielders, when they get that ball, specifically the one hit over their head, when they start running on their heels, the ball gives the appearance of actually moving where it's like almost like bouncing in different spots. Um, how do you determine, I mean, is it just a visual on your part or some other body part moving oddly when they're running on their heels? The heels will, 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 will produce that jarring effect. And when I do some of my drills that are both diagnostic and to improve performance, I video them from the beginning and when you have that foot strike where your heel is hitting at the same time with the flat foot, when you run that tape, when you're watching from behind, run the video from behind, when that foot hits, you can slow it down and you can see the shock wave that's created up the body. And you can see in many cases how the ankle rolls inward and how the alignment of the whole leg gets messed up because of the force that that flat foot hits. So constantly running at a high speed, they're not even running at a high speed when they're doing that. That is the, uh, Dave, I call it the alternate leg skip, which we grew up as being told was the high knee drill. If you want to take me in the direction of why I don't call it the high knee drill, you could ask me after I finish. But if they're getting that jarring, that jarring response from their foot hitting flat when they're not even running at full speed, now imagine how that jarring has an effect on the chain going up. And usually, Dave, when someone runs that way, their head's not still on top of the fact that their foot's not hitting the ground properly. So you usually have two different things working against the individual. If their head's not still, they're not going to see the ball properly either. Usually those things go hand in hand. No, that's, uh, th- th- those are great things to grab for our, our listeners out there. So go ahead, uh, Heine, tell me why. So, you know, I'm not a physics guy, and I know you're probably not a physics guy either. But the old thing I do remember from physics is for every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. So for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So we were told, get your knees up. 
Well, the knee up is a follow through that's inconsequential on its own. The knee coming off the ground is really a, a product of your foot going into the ground properly. So I can't tell you how many practices I still go to. I was at a, a, a group Monday night and I heard a coach yell to this other younger group, get those knees up. That's in, inaccurate. You're trying to put your foot in the ground properly, which is what we spend a lot of time working on. That is what gets the other knee to come off the ground. Not you lifting it, but it's the sheer reaction from your one side pushing down into the ground properly, bringing the other knee up. That makes sense. And, and you made me think of something that we didn't talk about this or prepare for this. And if you want to push it off, but I did, I wrote down a problem that I want to try to solve with you and I'll throw it out here on the air. Um, so when a, when a guy's taking a lead, we know that there's going to be bigger bases here. Kevin just wrote a, an article on some of the rule changes and the base looks like a pizza box, uh, but regardless of what it looks like, you know, you take your lead from the back of the bag. You want to be as far away from the tag as possible at first base. Right. The way I've always taught it is you got your eyes on the pitcher at all times. As soon as he steps on the rubber, you can take your lead. Uh, but you take a, a right, a big right step, a big left step, and then you pivot towards the infield. So you're square to the, the infield and on the, the line of the pace. The problem I have that I want to try to solve is when we run or we walk, it's you, you talked about sequence of movements, made me think about it. Left foot, right hand, right arm, and then right foot, left arm. It's, it's opposite. Correct. When guys make their first move stealing a base, and I am convinced that this slows them down because they've got their body has got to do something to catch up. Um, their first movement is more or less, you know, you'll see that right toe open a little bit so they can clear the way. But their first movement is a pivot and a step across their body with the left foot. And then they're driving that left arm with it. So they're already out of sequence and running. It's left foot, left arm. So somewhere along the line, the body's got to slow down somewhere, either slow down up top or slow down on the bottom to let the sequence get back in order. And um, I was watching something on Ricky Henderson a month ago. Uh, they had a show on him and I, I just kept watching him. Now he could get away with it, but it's never really been addressed, I don't think. But that that's a problem I want to solve with you here. Not today on the air, but uh, have you noticed that? Is that, I mean... Well, let's go. There's a couple of things here. There's They've done research about the crossover step versus the non-crossover step. So the crossover step would be a pivot, right? So then if you're uh, leading off first, going to second, you're crossing over with the left Correct. and getting in line. And they did, you know, that with the open, let's call it the open step where you're leading with the right foot and you're you're both stepping and, and rotating your hip in the direction of second base. The research kind of showed that both sides worked almost equally as well when you allotted for all the possible variations, right? So basically, there wasn't a big difference. But what you see and what we always try to eliminate, regardless of the sport, is the false step. Yeah. So the problem, Dave, would be if you're out of sequence, like you mentioned, it doesn't have, it shouldn't be that way. Um, in the video I was working with, with um, Jules and I work with with other people, especially when we go shuffle to sprint, is the head has to lead and you have to rotate with your chest up. A lot of times, Dave, how many times have you seen that base runner? I think it's most times. What's the base runner do when he takes those first couple of steps? The head goes down, the back gets puts his head down. His head yeah. goes down, his chest goes down. And again, that goes back to 
some fundamentals of sprinting that I do not believe most people outside of a very few people in the sprinting track space are aware of. So how do you think the upper body should go on that? You think it should well, stay? If you're going to pivot, if you're going to pivot from the back foot, the head has to rip through mm-hmm. and you're both, you're pivoting off of that right side as you're driving your left side through. If you do it efficiently, you're, so the thing we're trying to do is every time you move your feet, you're projecting your hips. That means your, your, your hips are moving. So the biggest mistake would be, Dave, if you've got that person with the, with the lead off of first and they pivot both feet and then take a step, even if it's regardless if it's the crossover or the open step. And that's what I see a lot with young athletes, regardless of the sport. You say go and they take that stance and they pivot. So both feet are facing second. If, if you were talking about baseball, they're yeah. pivoting from the stance. So both feet are facing second. And then they take that step, which you're moving your feet and you're not projecting your hips. So that's one of the main things I try to eliminate regardless of the sport, because if you are moving your feet and not moving your hips forward, then you're wasting a step. Interesting. Yeah. If you have the open step, a lot of times you see that guy with the big lead off of first, and it's so big that even if they step with that right foot first, they're not gaining any ground. It's almost a timing step or a plant step to be able to drive that other leg to take a second step. So there's a full step there that you're moving your feet and you're not moving your hips. Yeah. Some people, I can't do that one. I've tried that. That does not work for me at all, the false step. But I, 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 what you're saying about the upper body position is right on. And there's, I haven't seen a base runner, base stealer ever, uh, I'm double negative here, not drop their body, you know, where almost their back is flat to the ground, the head's down. So you and I are going to solve that, especially this year. We, if we solve it, we're going to get better numbers because the, ba- the bases are going to be bigger. So we gain, we gain inches. So how are you going to teach rounding second That's a, that, or rounding the base then? So is the corner of the base going to be – so the whole profile of the base is going to be bigger? So the base won't be – well, I guess second base will be in – it'll be completely different how you round the base. I, well, the yeah, in terms of the, I guess the angle that you're yeah. taking, it's gonna, yeah. a, it's gonna be a different angle uh, okay. because that's the the touch point's gonna be closer to the middle of the the diamond. I guess the, I guess the grass part of the diamond. So they're gonna have to the rounding area won't change. They're just gonna have to take a little bit different pathway to it. I guess yeah. yeah. I, I think it's silly. I just I I understand. I can articulate back to them why they're doing it. They think they're you know. Uh, solving injury issues they're going to make the game faster because more people will steal bases now and they've also limited the number of times you can engage the base runner which is two so if you step off once uh you only have one more time to step off or throw over and that and that at bat so once you step off once i mean if i'm a base runner i am taking a huge lead and i'm going to dare you to throw over and then if i get you throw over twice as soon as you step on that rubber i'm going I'm taking, I'm getting a running start because you can't throw over again or step off. So it's, yeah, a lot of silliness with that stuff. And I know this isn't, this isn't what we're, we have you on for, but the, uh, the base running thing, I, I want to get with you on that. Well, at some well, point. We can, we can solve the biomechanics of that. So can I, can I, now I'm going to tie this together with what we've talked about. Now we yeah. have another example where we've had, we have fake competency. We had this competency, 
And now what we have to do is change the size of the base because of these factors that have been produced by fake competency. Yeah. No, and we've talked about the first base. Guys get hurt on first base because they don't know how to run. So they're more at risk when they hit the bag with their foot's in the wrong position because their foot's always their feet are always in the wrong position. It's just when it hits the base that way, depending on their stride when they get there, when they started to get to full speed and all that. So we have another example of we don't have the competency we think we do. Yeah. Now they do this stuff in youth baseball with the size of the base, but they put two bases and they have the base the runner runs to in foul territory, just connect it to the first base. And then the normal base is in the same spot, so there's no advantage. But yeah, and we and we didn't we didn't uh, choreograph that at all. It was kind of my impromptu, and then you uh, your your deep intelligence in this area kind of tied it together. But yeah, you're right. It's 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 all about that fake competence. You wanted to talk about competency today again. I know we've been talking about competency and confidence linked together. Um, outside of that, which what were you thinking? What was on your head? Well, we kind of left the injury issue up in the air and we also talked about you know the the the, we have this nutritional we have this nutritional problem now in the country and i read another article uh this week and now what we're what we're hearing is we're deficient in choline and for those of you who are spelling challenged or my pronunciation isn't great choline is c-h-o-l-i-n-e and it's an essential nutrient that has a lot of functions, and we don't need to get into that. But, Dave, you know, you've been around for my conversations, and you've read some of my stuff. What um, foods have we been told are bad for you, mostly over the last, let's say, almost 50 years now? Oh, 50 years? Uh, high in cho- anything high in cholesterol. Right. So what, what, when you think cholesterol, what's the, the thing they go after usually first with cholesterol? Meat. Yep, and what's the second thing? Is it egg? Well, they don't go eggs. Eggs. There you go. You said it. Come on, have faith. Eggs. Yeah. I got you. So now we're being told. So let's step back for anyone who may have missed it. We've been told that once people get to the age of 50, they start losing muscle. And apparently it's a big mystery to the experts. Now we see a story that choline, which is a critical, crucial nutrient we're short of. And it happened just by chance over the same period of time we've been told to eat less meat, to eat lean meat, and to not eat eggs. And that cholesterol obviously is is the worst thing since, I don't know what, Hitler, worse than that. Uh, so you've got this evidence now. We have it in front of us. We're short of these nutrients we are lacking muscle that we should have, and we're lacking muscle mass and losing muscle mass. And it's because of what we've been told to eat. So we, we again have this crazy circumstance where our confidence in how we're supposed to, our, our confidence in our health, based on we've been told to eat a certain way, now isn't there because the stuff we've been told not to eat is really the stuff we should be eating. Yeah, you're right. I mean, choline is is essential. It's an essential nutrient to our you're body. You know, depending on what you get your info from, up to ninety or more than ninety percent of Americans are failing to meet their recommended daily intake of choline. Yeah, 
and they're they're beginning to if I read it right on on some of these Instagram posts I think Joe Rogan had it on his where the he was the World Education Forum is now tweeting that both eggs and choline are causing early heart problems and all these people that are uh, having early heart attacks athletes even at the age of 40 so it's it's kind of convenient yeah you know um, Dave you know what a lot of those athletes also had I do know yeah I, the vaccine and the boosters. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, this is, it's all nonsense. We've known, again, we'll reiterate it because it needs to be reiterated that we've known since they started doing direct studies where they were able to feed people and measure the results that eating cholesterol does not increase your cholesterol rate. Actually, in many cases, it could serve to lower it. So, you know, this is now going to be our battle because for every article you read like this, you're going to read an article about meat leading to certain other diseases where no matter what they're, they're coming up, uh, talking about in these cases, those are not done with studies that they can now do where they could feed people and they could measure the direct results. They're usually these studies where they look at survey results, you know, stuff that comes from non scientific research areas and it's presented as such yeah and do you know i know you got that do you know who is now a major investor he did it in i mean basically everything artificial he's invested in insect protein the beyond and the vaccine and now he's investing in an artificial egg supplement bill gates bill gates yeah well so really i don't know if we spoke about this but i've written about it the whole purpose of this meat that's grown in a lab that we're they're being they're selling it on it's environmentally more friendly is nonsense because what you're doing is now you're creating factories that need to take power water off the grid to grow protein in a lab now we already have the natural system that takes non-protein grains and grasses and turns it into protein. You know what that is? It's called the cow. The cow eats off the land that is really not suitable for any other animals, whether it's human or members of the animal kingdom to eat off of. With sunlight and water, they turn that non-edible food into protein. And they also contribute to the health of the soil and obviously the health of the planet. There are some very interesting books you can read um, out there. And I think I may have recommended one of the books is called The Vegetarian Myth. It's highly recommended. The author is a former hardcore vegan who existed for, I think she said, 25 to 30 years of her life in sickness and pain because she was so torn by the idea of eating an animal product. And it's an interesting story about how not only she realized she was killing herself, but the myths that they sell about vegetarianism versus eating meat. Give a myth. Give a couple. Well, the, the biggest is that somehow the cow raising cattle is at a detriment to the planet. To the environment. You know, think about it, Dave. I don't know if you remember when I was a kid, there were big 
construction projects that were halted because of the danger to some uh, species. Well, I remember one was the snail darter. I don't know if that was a dam project or some other huge project was pushed off or canceled outright because of the danger to this small species of creature. However, on the other side, you have the proposition to eliminate meat from the diet, eliminate the cow because it's a danger to the planet. But the cow is actually a major part of a healthy ecosystem, which is an amazing um, hip, hypocritical stance to take. And, and you have to, you know, I, I don't tell people they have to read, but in this case, I'm telling when you read the book and how the livestock community and how the cattle raise, the cattle's being raised helps the environment versus hurts it. Even those of us who are hardcore meatitarians feel guilty sometimes by eating this stuff because you're so bombarded with the nonsense. When you read these books, and I'll give you them right after I'm done here, it really changes your perspective. The two books you should read, one is called Sacred Cow. The authors of that book were on the Rogan podcast within the last year or so, The Sacred Cow by Diana Rogers and Rob Wolf. And the other book is The Vegetarian Myth. I know I've mentioned it before. It's by a woman named Lierre Keith. It's like Pierre with an L, Lierre Keith. Yeah, that's, we'll put both of those books in the show notes for people to to find as well. Um, and I, I don't know how, you know, I guess we, we could get into this as well. We, we had a major environmental disaster up in Ohio, supposedly. And that's going to get, I mean, you talk about destruction of an ecosystem. If we get the, what's it, the chloric acid? Yeah. After the burning of... Um, it, it, it got into the in the atmosphere, and it'll now get into the the water and the land and the soil. That that's a that's a big problem for a major farm area like the state of Ohio. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know enough about the details of what and how it happened, but it seems like there's a lot of coincidences and a lot of things going on that make you scratch your head. One one of which, uh, and then we we can move on with this. Uh, we're, we're, there was a Netflix special that was, I mean, to a T. Even the name of the town, the 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 train crash, the, all the the details were down to a T. There was a Netflix special not too long ago that was put out called, I want to say it was White Noise, maybe, chronicled just what happened in the same town in Ohio, yep. uh, the same set of circumstances. So. Um, I don't want to call it laughable because that's it, it kind of sheds a, a light like we're not taking it seriously. But I, I, I just find that um, just ridiculous that that stuff continues to get thrown right in front of us uh, while, while we're living. But uh, so get, getting back to competence, I know we, we touched on the eggs and the meat and I'm glad I passed that quiz. I almost didn't get the eggs out. I was a little I was questioning myself on that one. Right. You, you gave me the encouragement. That was a good teacher. <laughs> Uh, more more on competence and confidence that you wanted to, to hit on at all? Well, I mean, I think we've kind of banged people over the head with it. I, I what I would love to see is is people noticing it now. And and I, you know, once it's one of those like the saying, once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. 
So, you know, the rule, my favorite is the rule changes in baseball over the last couple of years. I just was going to mention it before you, before we made the switch to the, to the meat issue, but even the whole extra innings rule, that is because player, and the fact that there's still, I'm jumping all over, but you, you were the baseball guy at a much higher level, Dave. What, what do you think the percentage of games would be that, that run wasn't scored with a man on second and nobody out back when baseball was played in a little more fundamentally sound manner. How many of those games do you think would have not had runs scored right off the bat? Yeah, they, they happen. It's because you're getting deep into somebody's bullpen and it's it's guys that are coming in on shorter rest and maybe weren't prepared to come in. But the, the they're it's like any other rule change. They're taking something that happened maybe one time you know, where it had an 18 inning game and they're changing the entire system around to fit that one extreme. And I just think it's ridiculous. It's ghost runner on second alone sounds silly. Well, but don't you think what would have, what would you have done in an extra inning game? If it's say the, maybe not the top of the inning day, but in the bottom of the inning, if you had a man on second, nobody out, I know what my high school coach would have done. Oh yeah. It's, it's, I mean, you're moving the guy over either with a bunch. Oh, you're hitting behind him. You're getting him to third base one way or another. Yeah. You're butting him over or, or hitting behind him and something to the right side. And then you're hitting something in the air in the outfield. Game over. I mean, that, but by, uh, it's, that's almost a rule that was changed partially by incompetence, but it cannot be capitalized on because of incompetence. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy because I – my son's 13 or 13 and 14 year old teams that they play on, they can do that. And that's the rules they have runner on second. It's just, it's silly. And it's the same thing every time. It's almost unfair because the team can't stop it. If you lay a good bunt down, that kid's getting over. And then all you got to do is hit something in the outfield to make the outfield move, either stay still or move back and you're scoring. And it's, uh, it's pretty silly. I, I guess we move to the shift. I mean, how is that an example of what we're talking about. Well, we had, we had that discussion on the, on the big show, I'll call it. And, you know, think of other sports where a defense is going to do something that is so out of traditional character, because you know, uh, offensively, you would be able to take advantage of it. I, I can't imagine any other sport that that would work because football, certainly it would get you fired if you had, nine guys on one side of the field and two guys on the other and still ran to the nine guy side. Yeah. We talked about this. There's high school and youth teams that run count the guys in the box. And if there's five guys in the box, you run it. And if there's six guys, you throw it. I mean, they're being, they're doing that in middle school. So. Yeah. There, there's uh, you know, we talked about the, the engagement on the rubber, the, the uh, pitchers not being able to, either step off or throw over more than twice per at bat. And I understand they're trying to speed the game, but the over legislation in itself, is that not a, I guess the, the broad stroke of describing what you're talking about? Yeah. I think it all, I think it all boils down to all the problems that most of the sports are having boils down to a, a certain level of incompetence, whether you want to say it's lack of fundamentals, lack of other things that result in them trying to make, changes to make the game better and it's all based on um this incompetence and that, that you know i think you could easily put most moves in that category 
Yeah. And, and so the, I think the last thing we wanted to talk about, and uh, I know we're getting to that time, is mm-hmm. on Instagram again, and, and social media is such a big part of what we do. That's a, a a great example of social media in general of we're getting an idea for for what we think we should be doing across the board that does not square with the real world. So I think people need to be more and, and it goes back to my one of the things I wrote. People have to be more involved in their health and fitness. They have to take an active role in what they are doing to themselves and how they are taking care of themselves, because that's really one of the only ways you can avoid. I'm not going to say all or even most, but many of the pitfalls, problems we can come across by getting bad advice from people. Yeah, it's a, it's, there's, you got to have a great filter to be able to deal with the social media. I wrote about this on uh, Facebook as one of, uh, one of the listeners asked a question and I think the premise had to do with accomplishment of of goals, like what prevents people. And one of the things I wrote about is I firmly believe that um, the resources and energy that it takes to accomplish what you're trying to get done, the, I guess the energy that people spend talking about it and displaying it, they battle for the same resources in your body and in your mind. And the more I see people showing stuff that they're doing, in my mind, I'm thinking they're not getting it done. Um, they're, they're so concerned with telling people, making people believe that they are this type of individual getting it done. I, I, you know, I'd be willing to put money on they're not getting it done. My fears is I think more of what you're getting at is you got a lot of uh, gurus, I guess is what we call them on the station out there. Uh, they're, they're not mandated, legislated, held accountable for the stuff they're putting out there. And it's, it's dangerous. Because without the education, like the, some of the stuff that you're talking about and how you're educating, uh, there's going to be a lot of kids hurt. There's going to be a lot of kids getting that false confidence um, or false confidence, I should say. And, you know, we, we, you, you're doing your part trying to stop it. Are, are there specific examples that kind of hit you hard this week that, that you want to? Yeah, there's a, it's funny you mentioned that. There's a, uh, it was an account. I don't want to give anyone any kind of uh notoriety or whatever, but there was an account this morning and it's a, your classic fitness, um, like running sprint mechanics. This is how you do it. And there are drills, Dave, just because you have these little low level hurdles that you can set up inside a drill and have a coach there yelling stuff and have the athletes engaged with these hurdles doesn't mean what they're doing is right. And I'm looking at this drill. It's a skip drill. And the idea of this skip drill with the hurdles is it's supposed to develop that foot contact that's that we've spoken about on most shows and that we talked about a lot earlier today where your heel's not hitting the ground. And again, it's one thing if I'll put up videos all the time. And when I talk about some of my videos, if it's just a video of me teaching somebody how to do certain things, I'm not saying this is how you do it. As a matter of fact, I usually leave in my New Jersey accent voice so people can hear me making corrections so they know the corrections are an ongoing part of the exercise. We're always trying to get better. These drills are being showed as how you do it. And when you have three or four people doing a drill and every one of these drills has every element wrong, and that's just all you see, it gets you frustrated because it, it, there's no way to, Dave, there's no way to counter this. Uh, there's no 
mass way to counter it. The way I can counter it is individually with my clients, but it's a voice in the wilderness. Yeah, and I guess monkey see, monkey do. We, we, Jeff Fry's on that with hitting uh, nonstop. And I know Will George and and Mark Wiley are on it with pitching. They're seeing the same thing there. Now we're seeing it in fitness. What has to happen for people to just wake up? Well, I don't know. People aren't waking up now with the injury epidemic that we had, where we talked about last week, the concept of these high school and college, and I'll, I'll talk about the women the, that have this higher incident of ACL. This The drills I just mentioned in this Instagram post that we just spoke about, everything that these girls are doing are the improper technique that do lead to injury. Now, I'm not saying you're always going to tear your ACL if you have a foot strike, but if you're a woman and you're playing volleyball or basketball and you've been taught to run like these young ladies are being taught to run, you're going to have a, 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 an injury problem to deal with in your future, whether it's from your hip mobility, whether it's because your foot's hitting the ground, whether you, again, you're getting this false confidence from this false definition of competency because you could skip over the hurdles. There's a lot more to skipping over the hurdles than just having this skip rhythm and getting your knee up off the ground and being able to get your foot up over the hurdle. Yeah, no, no, well said, uh, well said. And I, I think I, you hate to have injury cause a reason why people change I like for it to be intelligence, but that's not happening. We're, yeah. we're past it. And because if the injury, you could d- draw the direct correlation between how these, Young kids are being trained, both male and female, and the injury level. You know, we talked about this on the other show, too. There was the move to say women need equal access to strength facilities in college because they're behind it. They're going to have a bigger problem because the males are being trained improperly. Putting women into that same environment where injuries are on the rise for both male and females, now you're going to train these females in the wrong way and now more we'll we'll see an explosion of these injuries and that and it'll be interesting to see where they point the finger of blame next <laughs> that was i was just going to ask you that question we see, we're seeing it with nutrition with meat and eggs right now do you have any any uh, thoughts or wisdom on that where you think they will start pointing the finger not that we want to guide them there but with the injuries yeah well, I, I think what you should be doing is looking at the real physical difference between the male. Maybe it'll get us to the point, Dave, where, and, and I've, I've talked about this before, and let's let's wrap up with this because it's a good spot. There, There's a study done, there's a study that's been done on ACL tears in soccer players. And if you look at the general conclusion, the kicking leg is, the ACL is torn in the kicking leg 50% of the time, and it's torn in the plant leg 50% of the time. Now, it's been a few months at least since I looked at the study, so I might not have which leg is which, but follow this. If you look at the male to female difference, females have a 75% chance of tearing their ACL in their plant leg, and males have a 75% chance of tearing their ACL in their kicking leg. So right there, you have a stark difference in the ACL tear that has to be tied to physiology, or at least it's screaming for someone to look at that. So rather than look at the time that these women are spending in the weight room, let's put all our brain power into 
looking at why three quarters of the women that tear their ACL tear their plant leg and three quarters of the men tear their kicking leg. And maybe then we could have some forward movement in this. And there's no, there's been no, nobody looking at it or there's no reason. Well, I haven't seen any research beyond that. If, if there's some out there, that would be great. But I think right there, that tells you something that yeah. is undeniable, whether you're a research person, whether you're a performance coach, certainly it tells you something if you're a soccer player. Certainly it tells you something if you're the parent of a young soccer player. Yeah, I think that's two good projects for you and I, too. Let's figure out the base stealing mechanics to get it on track. And then uh, the soccer H- ACL is based on gender and yep. physiology. That's, uh, we're going to get that done here on Real Voices of the Game. Well, it's a great show as usual. Our, our, we, we, we had a, you and I had a pep talk from Ted Kubiak before the show, and, and uh, he's, he encouraged you to, to keep deep diving, and smart people will pay attention. And those that can't kept, catch up, they, they better do a little extra reading in between your shows. But we appreciate the information you give. We also appreciate the, the guidance you're giving people, not just with your knowledge, but periodicals to, to look into. And what, uh, where can the audience find you? Well, my uh, my Instagram is picking up nicely. It's at, I don't know if I, if that's like an old manism is saying at before it, so I won't say that. It's Coach Sal's Playmakers. Uh, my Twitter is at Sal Marinello. My Substack is Coach Sal M. Substack. And I'll be adding, Dave, I want to add the uh, podcast link in my bio because I do a lot more on Instagram and I think people could find us that way too. So. That's the best way. And as I've said, my work, uh, my website is a work in progress. And I hope to have some time this spring ready to go for people to really check out what I do. Yep. And, and Ted actually shared with me before we got on the air, check out his website for you, you know, to, to get ideas. He, I think you and you and uh, you and Ted both have similar deep dives into your, your areas of expertise. So he encouraged me to tell you to check out his website so you can get some thoughts and ideas and he'd be happy to sit with you and walk you through it. So we got a big, big family, big team. Everybody's trying to help each other. Uh, so our audience, 12,000, we went over that number today. It's a big milestone for us. We want to thank everybody for continuing to be diligent. Download, listen, like, subscribe. We get credit for that. And that's how we continue to grow and provide these great shows for you. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I'm doing a daily post on Facebook every morning based on questions from the audience, the direct messages that we're getting. Um, I, I love them. Uh, they're great. I, I can't get all, everybody out on Facebook, but I do answer everybody privately. So we appreciate that feedback. And we're on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. Um, we do have a new show that debuted last week. We'll have our second show with him this weekend with Jim Cott, Hall of Fame pitcher and uh, world-renowned broadcaster. He'll continue to, to debut on our weekend show. So thanks again to him for joining us. And we will be having more shows join us as we go. We have a lot of people that want to contribute and and add to the great shows like we have with Sal here. But I, uh, I want to sign off. Apologize for no music today. Um, we're going to sign off without the music today. But episode 122, this is the Hot Corner with Coach Sal, Sal Marinello, Dave D'Agostino, signing off with you. Sal, thanks again, buddy. Thanks, Dave. See you next week.